Hello, beautiful. Thank you for tuning in to the Colorism Healing Podcast, where our goal is to learn, transform, and resist. What you're about to listen to is the audio version of my weekly live streams on Instagram and Facebook, which you are welcome to join every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central Time. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, (laughs) I thought I was live and I wasn't, so I have to do my little spiel over again. Welcome to another live stream with me, Dr. Webb. I go live every week to talk about all things colorism. And this week, I'm gonna be talking about two forms of colorism. One that you probably have heard of, and another one that many people are not aware of or don't acknowledge. Before I jump into that, please say hello. Let me know where you're tuning in from and let me know how the weather is where you are. The weather is great up here in Springfield, Illinois. I just walked to the uh, coffee shop in back. It's about a 25 minute walk one way. And I did not sweat at all. I know I said that in a previous live stream, but it's it's really cool being from South Louisiana where, where you sweat just standing still in the shade. <laughs> um, A few announcements as we get started. Um, Again, I do this every week, so feel free to watch the recording. If you can't catch it live, please send me suggestions for issues or topics related to colorism that you'd like me to see me address specifically. And share, also share this with other folks who might um, be, find it interesting. I also wanted to note, someone reached out to me about closed captioning these live streams and I know how to upload individual videos to IGTV and do the auto captions through Instagram, but the live streams are usually too long to upload through IGTV. And so I'm not sure if it's possible to do the closed captioning for the live streams, but any other video that's 15 minutes or less that I upload to IGTV, I can do the auto captioning through Instagram. But if anyone knows if there's a way to include auto captioning to the live streams, um, let me know. Because even if I save it to my phone and then try to re-upload it, they're usually too long to upload. So I don't want to lose them. Okay, but anyway, another announcement is that I am available this summer, all summer, for speaking engagements as well as coaching. So I do individual coaching and I do small group coaching. So if you're interested in any of those things, check out my website, link in my bio, or send me a DM or email. All right, so let's get started. I think it's gonna be kind of quick today because my point is like very specific. So depending on what questions or comments y'all have, we might be out of here in under 30 minutes. Hey, Marley Bob, what's up? Good to see you. Um, joining from London, sitting in the evening sun. Very, very nice. Um, Kalia Kaniki says, wonderful weather in Belgium. What's up, Belgium? Atlanta, Georgia, nice and sunny. Okay, I like this. Um, hot, hot, hot in BR from Hippie Chick Joy. Um, I plugged your earrings last week, um, Jackie. I was wearing your earrings. Um, and then Sangakulu in sunny southeast Pennsylvania. So it looks like everybody has some sunshine today. I like that. Everybody's got some sunshine. Okay, so the topic for today is two forms of colorism. And if you have not seen my post, I cited an article where they, they explain more fully these two types of colorism. But the first one is called intra-racial colorism. 
So that's spelled M-I-T-R-A, racial. And so that's the type of colorism most people know about, right? It's like black people discriminating against other black people or, you know, Asian Americans discriminating against other Asian Americans, right? Or Mexican Americans discriminating against other Mexican Americans. So it's you showing prejudice towards people of the same race as you based on their skin tone, right? And so that's where most people's, everybody who talks about colorism talks about it that way. Fewer people talk about interracial colorism. So that's I-N-T-E-R, interracial colorism. So you can kind of think of the word interstate. Interstate, it's a highway that crosses between states, right? So interracial colorism is colorism that happens across races. There are people who do not think that this form of colorism even exists. So you hear a lot of people say, well, you know, to white folks, we're all just black. You know, white folks don't see, you know, light and dark and brown. They just see black. And that's actually a myth. And it's a, a, a myth that I think is, impedes a lot of progress in terms of racial and color equalities. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that the reason colorism exists amongst black people or amongst other racial groups um, is because of how white people have made distinctions between us of different colors, right? So if it were true that white people treated all black folks the same no matter what color we are, then we as black people would not have latched on to colorism. We would not have internalized that and taken that up for ourselves. So in my opinion, the presence of colorism in the black community is proof or is the direct result of colorism perpetuated by white people. It's because white society, white culture was more likely to give you a job if you were lighter skin, was more likely to put you in their movie. Speaking of, you know, um, In the Heights, that movie that just came out. Um, it's because you were more likely to be um, treated fairly in the justice system, right? That black people really internalized that color hierarchy, right? If, the, if there were no material benefits to being light-skinned, black people would not be practicing colorism, right? So a few examples of how interracial colorism works. And it, so it obviously, I'm saying white people a lot, but it does not just, you know, white folks. So, you know, if a white employer is interviewing job applicants, they will likely perceive the lighter skinned applicants as being more intelligent, as being more competent, being more professional than the darker skinned applicants. And that's true even if those are Asian applicants, Latinx applicants, African American applicants. Um, but it can also happen across other racial groups. So Asian Americans can be colorist towards black Americans, right? In, in my post for Sunday, I mentioned, you know, you might have an Asian American teacher who more harshly penalizes darker skinned students, darker skinned black students, right? And shows favoritism towards lighter skinned black students. You can have a black person show favoritism towards a lighter skinned Asian person, right? Or an African-American cop, even though 
we're in the realm of ethnicity and not race per se, but an African-American cop might perceive dark-skinned Mexicans as being more criminal than lighter-skinned Mexicans, right? And so colorism definitely happens within the same racial community, but it also happens across the racial community. So I tell people to focus not on the race of the person who is perpetuating colorism, but focus on the race of the people they're making distinctions between, right? So that's how you're able to, to determine colorism versus racism. Just my light here. Okay, I saw some comments coming through, which is one of my favorite parts of the lives. That's why I do the live, is to see uh, the live comments. Let me go back here. All the ways, hey y'all, thank y'all for hopping on, even if you hop right back off. <laughs> Um, you say, I saw that. Thank you, friend. Yeah. Um, Eurocentric standard of beauty versus African-centric standard of beauty. Yeah. And, you know, I love my black aesthetic personally, but I also don't think we need any standard of beauty, right? Whether it's European or African or Asian or Native American, like just let people be. It's a human standard of beauty, right? To, to me, that, I think that's the ultimate goal. Like we don't need to have a standard. Like each person is their own individual standard. Shout out to Lauren Hill, where I got that quote from, you know, in her album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, which really inspired me my senior year in high school. She said, each one of us is our own standard, right? There is no other Sarah Lorena Webb. I'm not comparing myself to other black women. I'm not comparing myself to white women or Asian women. I look at me in the mirror every day, right? Um, because even, you know, again, when we talk about the African-centric standard of beauty, um, it's not utopian, right? Africa is not a utopia, right? And even though we try to counter the demeaning messages that colonialism um, has perpetuated about Africa, we also need to acknowledge that Africa is not a utopia. Africa as a continent was not Wakanda. And even Wakanda had problems. Y'all saw the movie, y'all saw Black Panther, and y'all know Wakanda had problems, as wonderful as it was. Um, and so I, I know that even an African standard of beauty would, could still be problematic in so many ways because it's a standard that, we, that not everyone is gonna fit into regardless of their skin tone, our body type, our hair texture, our facial features. Even across the African continent, people have different skin tones. Even native African people whose families have always been in Africa, always been on the continent, um, some are lighter than others and there's colorism there, right? Some have different facial features, especially you know across the continent, the features are different. And so it can still happen even then and even there. Uh, Sanger Kulu says, that's a myth. White folks treat us based on how close or far away we are to them. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you touched on that gaslighting myth. It is a gaslighting myth. And it's a, um, someone commented on my post too. So always like read the comments on my post that when black people say that, or when black people say, oh, to white people, we're just all black. We're all the same. That is a tactic, A, to avoid acknowledging privilege. It's a way to diminish or to sort of turn away from, not acknowledge the ways that lighter skinned black people and light, lighter skinned, you know, Latinx people who can also be black 
um, lighter skinned Asian people, like this lighter skinned people across the board have privilege in this society. And the, the myth, the, the notion that white people don't see any difference is a way to deny, is one form of denying that privilege. Um, John Chu, the Asian director for In the Heights, participated in the colorism and erasure of dark-skinned Afro-Latinos. Yeah, and I, I read that he directed um, Crazy Rich Asians. I saw Crazy Rich Asians. I did not see Hamilton. I did not see In the Heights. Um, and yeah, I, I thought about that, like the colorism and Crazy Rich Asians. Um, and I thought that his response was typical. And that it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He was kind of like apathetic about it, right? He seemed kind of apathetic about the accusations of colorism. Um, let's see. Please post this as a recording afterwards. Yes, always. I save it immediately after. Um, Baby Shack, colorism is in every diaspora. Black, African, American, Asian, Latino, etc. Yes, it is. Um, the the reason why we need to address both is that when we talk about the systemic aspects of colorism those very often happen interracially so if we talk about colorism just as an in-group thing just as the intra-racial colorism like amongst black folks or just amongst south asians then that's when people can deny the systemic consequences of colorism. That's when people can say, oh, it's just about people thinking you're cute, right? Or it's just about your dating choices or just about um, the beauty pageant that you didn't win or who makes the dance team at, the, at, at Southern University or at some HBCU, right? But if we acknowledge interracial colorism, then we start to understand things like wealth, gaps amongst black people. We start to understand things about health disparities between lighter skinned black people and darker skinned black people. We understand things like educational inequality between lighter skinned black people and darker skinned black people. Because in that sense, in the systemic society level, a lot of those consequences that come from colorism are perpetuated by non-black people. Right. So oftentimes it's white school teachers. I think what's the statistic? I have a lot of educators on this page. Isn't like 80 to 90 percent of the teaching force white women. And so when we look at the fact that dark skinned girls are three times more likely to be suspended than girls with very light skin tones. That's most often white administrators and white teachers perpetuating that. When we look at the wealth gaps, the, the wage gaps, right, of lighter skinned black people making about 12 to 14 percent more in wages than dark skinned black people. A lot of times that's a white hiring manager or a white business owner who's making those pay decisions, who's making those hiring decisions. One research study um, looked at white employers interviewing or looking at um, African-American job candidates, right? and saying how, oh, we prefer the lighter skinned candidates even if they have less education and less work experience. And so the systemic consequences really, we, we have to talk about interracial colorism, right? And one of the reasons people are so dismissive and, and say that colorism is the lesser issue is because they're not acknowledging the interracial consequences and patterns that play at play, right?
Um, uh, Sanger Koo says, yep, the suspension rates are even the same when comparing dark-skinned girls to light-skinned boys. Oh, wow. Yeah, see? Hmm, that's really telling. Very, very telling. I know one of the, the article specifically that I, that I refer to for that mentioned that the, the belief or the assumption about how girls should act exacerbates the negative perception of black girls, of dark-skinned black girls. Um, because girls are expected to be more polite or more um, quiet, right? So any, like a loud boy is seen as less of a problem than a loud girl, basically. Um, so, or like even a, an active rambunctious boy is seen as a less of a problem than a rambunctious girl, right? And so those gender stereotypes intersect with the color stereotypes and make it a, a bigger problem for dark-skinned girls. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is that when we look at why it takes so long to see racial progress, right? We talk about why are we still fighting for civil rights? Like why after all these years do we still have to protest about lynching black people and about cops killing black people? I think a lot of it is because if we are only focusing on racism, we're not actually addressing the problems that we think we're addressing. Because a lot of times we think it's a race problem, but it's really a color problem. I know, I know some people don't want to hear that. I know. <laughs> I know some people are like, what? No, 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 that can't be. But really, if you want to target more effectively the social structural inequalities between, between races, you have to take up the lens of colorism. There's another research study, and I don't memorize these by heart, but I have a, an index of probably a thousand now, thanks to my um, student intern adding, you know, updating the index of like research articles. But there was one that looked at the, the educational outcomes for African-Americans over the decades since the civil rights movement. And for lighter skinned and medium skin tone African-Americans, there was significant racial progress in terms of their educational outcomes. But for dark-skinned African-Americans, our educational outcomes have remained the same since the civil rights movement up until the point of that research study, right? So there have been increased or improved educational attainment for lighter-skinned Black people and somewhat for medium-skin tone Black people, but there have been no progress in terms of educational attainment and outcomes for darker skinned black people over those decades, right? And so we look at, so we ask, you know, okay, well, why are black children still behind in testing? Or why are black children still not performing or, you know, going to college or whatever the inequality issues we're bringing up? And that's because when we implement strategies that are based on race without considering colorism, they will disproportionately benefit lighter skins and our medium skin tone black people, right? And it's the, the rich get richer. It's no different from taking a colorblind approach to other issues, right? So if you want to have a scholarship for students and you don't consider race, white students will disproportionately benefit from that initiative. 
And so if we look at it in terms of black students, when we initiate things based on race, lighter skinned black people will disproportionately benefit from those initiatives, from those projects. And so in order to really close the gaps, in order to really create equity and parity in all these areas, we have to target dark skinned black people for some of these programs and initiatives. Oh my gosh, heaven forbid that we do that because you're causing division and what about light skinned folks and you know, I need a scholarship too. <laughs> That's controversial. I don't hear many people proposing that. But just like we have certain scholarships and certain programs for black students, we need to have certain scholarships and certain programs and certain opportunities designated just for dark skinned black people. My theory, my hypothesis is that we'll see greater equality faster. <laughs> That's my hypothesis. Now, will it actually play out? I don't know. I don't know how many people would buy into that approach, right? Because it's hard enough just to get people to say, we're gonna do this just for black people. But if you start saying, we're gonna do this just for dark-skinned black people, I'm gonna you know, set aside um, a space in my incubator, my business incubator, just for dark-skinned black women as entrepreneurs, or I'm going to um, set aside roles in my film or my play just for dark-skinned black women. People will be up in arms. They'll be like, oh my gosh, that's reverse colorism. And, Y'all know. <laughs> but again, that's why we're not seeing progress. That's why we're not seeing progress. It's because we want to take a colorblind approach to improving society, and we can't do that. I know I've bent. I'm like on a tank. I'm on a rant. Colorism came before racism, i.e. darkness globally and historically have been viewed as negative. Yeah, especially... Um, I think it's well documented in other cultures, right? Pre-colonial cultures um, definitely had colorism even before colonialism. And then we can't ignore the fact, I'm working on a post that talks about race. I'm working on, a, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna at some point do a live, you know, talking about this dynamic. But we cannot ignore the role that phenotype played in determining racial categories in the first place. Um, it wasn't all phenotypic, right? But phenotype played a huge role in deciding, determining like, oh, okay, we're gonna call these people black. You, we would have to like be very oblivious not to realize the correlation between color and race. Like it's literally in the names of the races. Like color was a, was, the first, one of the main determinants in determining race over, over history, right? That's why it's called white. That's why it's called black. That's why it was called yellow. That's why it was called red. Like people were using phenotype. People were using skin tone to establish what these racial categories would be in the first place. Um, okay. Uh, what would be the mechanism to present a scholarship that's dedicated to darker skinned black people? The same mechanism um, used to designate scholarships just for black people. So there are a lot of scholarships, a lot of opportunities, a lot of programs that are designated, specified, set aside for black people, for African-American, African-American scholarships, African-American um, admissions rates or African-American programs to help bridge the gap, mentoring 
programs just for African Americans. You would do the same thing, except instead of saying African American, you would just say dark skinned African American. You would say this is a scholarship for dark skinned African Americans. You would say this is a mentoring program for dark skinned African Americans. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not any different. We're, we do it all the time with race, but I think people push back and gripe about wanting to do it based on color. That's just how I see it. Um, the books, The History of White People and Fearing the Black Body, touch on the creation of race in reference to phenotype. Okay, thank you. So again, because Instagram will not save that comment, Senga Kulu says, The History of White People and Facing the Black Body are good books to read for talking about race based on phenotype. Um, what would determine if an African-American is dark skin? So you can do self-identified. Like, and actually, I was literally reading a scholarship description yesterday that said the scholarship is open to anyone who identifies as black. So you can say the same thing. The scholarship is open to anyone who identifies as dark skin. Um, That is one of the questions that comes up a lot in terms of the research on color, colorism, is that who is dark versus who is like kind of a medium brown versus who is light skin is subjective. And it could change based on who's doing the interview, based on what time of year it is, based on who else is in the room. But I don't, I don't think that that logistical hurdle is an excuse not to do it, right? I think, yeah, you might get a few people who are considered brown and not dark, or a few people who would be considered light-skinned to most people, but they see themselves as dark. That might happen, but it's better than doing nothing. It's better than not addressing the inequality based on color. <laughs> Just like you'll have, if you have scholarships saying, oh, this is for African-Americans, I guarantee you there are people who are like hanging on to that designation of being black by 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 the hair by a hair <laughs> it's like ooh, very 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 technically black you know um all right let me keep going it says i just like to thank you for sharing your knowledge with us all thank you glenn's lens glenn's lens that's fun to say um kalia kaniki says very insightful racism is a huge trigger for people in belgium the term colorism is not yet utilized here. I'll start experimenting with it. We'll see. Yeah, I was talk I, when I talked to a group in Berlin last month. Um, they talked. They mentioned that as well. That people are barely acknowledging racism in Berlin and Germany, and colorism is just not even close to being on people's radar. But it has to start somewhere, right? So yeah, I definitely think all of you can help with that and bringing those conversations to other countries as well. Um, I just got back from living in Ireland and the gaslighting I dealt with in terms of mentor mentioning racism was a lot. Hey, how do you handle light-skinned people who get defensive when you talk about dark skin discrimination? And this is from Nellie Alili. Hi. So, there, it depends. There are a few ways to handle it and it's contextual. So one thing to consider and how you go about 
dealing with that is your relationship to that light-skinned person and the context in which you're having that conversation with them. So if it's a relative, for example, if it's someone in your family, you might um, stick with the conversation. It might be worth the relationship to pursue that conversation further. And in which case you can approach them with questioning, with questions. I think um, this came up a few times and how instead of it being about you like lecturing to them, are you preaching to them? Are you um, saying that they are wrong, right? Which can seem confrontational. You can like ask them like rational questions, like asking them to think. If it's not a relative, if it's like not a relationship that's, that you're going to have again, then you have to decide for yourself if it's worth your energy. And I'm very, like, yeah, people need opportunities to learn, but at, not at the expense of my peace, <laughs> not at the expense of my life force. Right. So if I'm like, I don't have time to engage in people. This is the other thing who are willfully being willfully ignorant. Because there's one thing in, about being defensive versus being willfully ignorant. I think being defensive might be an initial reaction. But gauge, like just, just practice observing. Like, does this person seem like they actually want to learn something in this moment? If they, if they seem like they might actually be able to come around or like they actually want to hear me, then I'll keep engaging. I'll keep asking the questions. But it's easy to spot people who don't want to change their mind. Even if they are wrong and they know they're wrong, they want to stay wrong because it feels good to them, because it benefits them to hold that position. And so what I do is I take it case by case and I, I think about, again, my relationship to that person. Is it worth, you know, trying to hear them out and plead my case? And also if they are actually like having a conversation or if they are derailing the conversation. So that's what I base my decision on. Um, I, can st I can't stand the hair strand tests. It's creepy. And folks better not cry when 90-year-old white supremacist gets reparations. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Saying a coup, right? Like if we look at that the way blackness has been defined throughout history and like how that category is played out like you better believe if they're doling out reparations all those folks who were like i'm not black all of a sudden they're gonna be black you see what i'm saying all of a sudden now they're giving reparations to the descendants of slaves and black folks right all of a sudden now y'all black <laughs> Ooh -wee. um Danelle Crutch, tell them to talk to your sis. <laughs> that color is appealing. Yeah. Um, reading cast. This is Sarah Bestwill. Sarah Bestwill, I remember how to say it. Reading cast in her perspective of why colorism is harmful is because it celebrates the rape and sexual assault of black women. Never had thought about it like that. Yes. That is part of the legacy of colorism, like a huge part of it is the practice of the, one of the reasons why the one drop rule exists was so that white men could rape black women and 
also benefit from then having more people that they could enslave, right? So they, they benefited financially from raping black women. It was a financial, it was a capitalistic benefit to white men. So in addition to the, the power dynamic and all the other um, impetuses or impulses that lead to violence and rape and sexual assault, it was, it was actually also a financial benefit to them for their offspring to be um, considered black, to, le to be legally deemed black and therefore legally um, enslaved, right? Legally enslaved. Because you, it was against the law to enslave other people. It was against the law to enslave Native Americans at one point too. Like eventually it became illegal to enslave a Native American. So you had people um, listing Native Americans as black on the census, right? To justify that. Um, whew. <laughs> it's overwhelming, y'all. Let me get back on track. Um, love your suggestions for taking action. I often hear people say, oh, that's reverse racism when we suggest actions to improve inclusion. How do you counter that argument? Oh, yeah. You're, I like that you're asking all these like tactical questions. Um, so a similar thing in terms of reverse colorism. A lot of people say it's reverse colorism or it's reverse racism. And one we start by explaining what racism and colorism actually are, right? Like this is what racism is. And so you can't say it's reverse because it's not the inverting of that system, right? Racism is a system, colorism is a system. And so what people call racism is not another system. It's not an inverted version of that system. It's a tactic to undo the system. Um, because another book I recommend is Ian Haney Lopez. I also mentioned his book, White by Law, but he also has a book called Dog Whistle Politics, where he explains people assuming that racism is the interpersonal racism, the individual racism. And so as a culture, we have been conditioned to see racism as that. We have been conditioned to see racism as prejudice or personal hate personal bias, right? And that's a part of racism. But culturally speaking, and as a society, we suppress the understanding. We intention it's intentionally obscured what racism is at a structural level. And so that's why people say things like reverse racism or reverse colorism. And so I think explaining that racism is a system and a structure. And so a response to that system, a response to that structure is not a reverse form of that system. It's a response to it. Um, let me read that question again. Oh, the other way I counted that argument is with an analogy about glasses of water. <laughs> so I love analogies. And so reverse racism, reverse colorism, and people want to take a colorblind approach. I've actually heard university administrators say, well, if we give something to one group of students, we have to give, give it to all students. We have to give that same thing to all students. And so I asked the question, if you have three glasses of water, one glass 
is, or you have three glasses. One glass is empty, one glass is 50% full, and the other glass is 100% full. And you say, okay, how do we create equity amongst these three glasses? And you say, we're gonna put water in the glass that is empty. And you say, well, well, if you put water in the glass that's empty, you also have to put water in the glass that's full because that's fair. <laughs> Does that make logical sense, right? If you're trying to create an equal amount of water in all three of these glasses, it doesn't make logical sense to put the same amount of water in each glass. You have to put the amount of water into the glass that's necessary to make all of them even. So if one glass is already full, already has water in it, then you don't put water in it, right? <laughs> so I don't know if that analogy is helpful, but it just it's a very logical example of why something like affirmative action is not um, harming white men. It's because your glass is already full. Society has poured into your glass for centuries. You have what you need. And so we're going to focus on the glasses that don't have that much water in them. And we're going to put water into those glasses where it's necessary. I hope that made sense. <laughs> um, let's see. While in grad school at Memphis University, I had to address the use of the phrase reverse racism. It has horrible undertones and is seated in white supremacy. Yes. I left a Zoom chat when, I, when a light-skinned Haitian woman mentioned reverse colorism. It was too much. <laughs> it is, ooh, it's a lot. And on my last post, there was a comment about how it's hateful not to acknowledge, quote unquote, my form of colorism, right? So like, I assume this was a lighter-skinned person who was saying that she experienced colorism and to not acknowledge the colorism that she experiences as a form of hate. And I think any light-skinned people who are listening or any light-skinned people that you talk to is helping them to realize that the way people respond to colorism is not the same as colorism itself. And so, yes, you might have had negative reactions to the fact that colorism exists, but that doesn't mean that those reactions are colorism itself. And so it's just like, you know, people who say the protests are wrong. You're responding to racism the wrong way. That, that's not the same as the racism itself, right? It's a reaction. The protest is a reaction to the racism. It's like if, you know, black, a black kid beats up a white kid because of the racism they've experienced, it's, it's wrong, like I'm not condoning that. I don't condone that. I don't think it's right to beat up a white person or a light-skinned person. But that is a reaction to the system of racism, to the system of colorism. That is the outgrowth of the problem. And more importantly, what I want to tell light-skinned people is that if you are troubled, frustrated, harmed, by people's reactions to colorism, then you should be deeply invested in ending colorism, right? And so what happens with a lot of light-skinned people is they want to keep the privilege they get from colorism, but they don't want to experience the backlash of, that, of having that privilege. So it's kind of like wanting your cake and eating it too, right? 
you don't want darker skinned black people to alienate you. You don't want to feel um, distrust or um, resentment or um, pushback from dark skinned black people. But you're also not willing to dismantle your, the system that privileges you. And so I asked, I'm, and actually I need to do an open letter to my light-skinned folks, especially my light-skinned sisters. So I'm asking you, like, if you want me as a dark-skinned woman to trust you, show me that you are actually, like, invested in all of our liberation and not just trying to hold on to your privilege. Um, all right, folks. So I've definitely covered my topic in terms of two forms of colorism, but I like all of y'all's comments. The point is that if you're accusing folks of reverse racism or colorism as a bad thing, then racism and colorism are bad. So let's get back to your racism and colorism, ma'am, sir. <laughs> yes, that's a great analogy. Thank you so very much for your work and insights. Um, racism is discrimination on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group typically one that is a minority or marginalized. That last part is essential. Mm. Mm. Yes, see Sarah Bus Bestwill. Um, I didn't mention that, but that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up, is that racism and colorism are about power, are about power dynamics. Um, it's not just about bullying, okay? It's not just about being bullied are being made fun of or being teased or even being beat up right in the schoolyard or having someone pull your hair. It's about systemic access, access to power, power, access to capital, access to opportunities, right? All of that is racism as well. Racism is not just um, violent vitriol or hate or acts of violence. Racism is also, also includes privilege, right? The systems of racism, systems of colorism are also included in the fact that you have greater access to things, right? Racism is not just the hatred or discrimination side. Racism is also the privilege side. Like that's part of the system. And people focus so much on the, the negative experiences as being indicative of that system. But the positive experiences, the privileges that y'all experience as white people and lighter skinned people, that is also part of that system. Um, white people are not marginalized. Uh, a lot of people don't get it. Look at life consequences. Yes, exactly. If a problem bothers you so much, then work to end it instead of contributing to it. White privilege, white skin privilege, why would they dismantle the system that's directly benefiting them? Right. Um, many want to sit comfortably at the top of the hierarchy. It's disturbing how many, all of hers, are so invested in the hierarchy. Um, Beyonce worship. Oh, yeah, that's a good one right there. Um, Belly Baylor, careful of the Bayhive. I had to tell the Bayhive to step back on Instagram story. I posted about her and Black is King. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I love it. I love, I love my Instagram folks who tune in because... If it was just me talking, we would have been done like in 10 minutes. But y'all kept the conversation going. Y'all added like really interesting um, directions with the conversation. And so hopefully anyone watching this playback, um, that's why I read the comments so that they're, they remain a part of the live experience as well. Glenn's Lens, The Vanishing Half was a book that opened my eyes to 
Colitis. I'm wondering what you thought of that book if you've read it. I have not read The Vanishing Half. What about class and able bodies? Aren't those at play in all communities? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, have I done a, I've done a live on like gender intersectionality, but class, class is a major intersection of colorism. Class, class can like make or break your colorism experience. Class is one of the most powerful intersections in terms of racism and colorism, right? And so middle-class black people, upper-middle-class black people, um, and their experiences, what they don't have to deal with or what they don't have to consider in terms of colorism and racism is very different from poor black people. Um, and I can talk more about that in future lives. Um, ableism, I think, is one of my, my go-to analogies for, un for unpacking privilege or for helping people to understand privilege because it's one of the ones that's most taken for granted. And even I knew on an intellectual level about ableism and able-bodied privilege, but it wasn't until um, I started like going places with my friend who has a disability that I realized walk, literally walking through the world is a different experience when you have a disability, right? Because we would want to go places and we couldn't because he couldn't access the building, like he couldn't access the event. So we had to make different choices. And so it became that much more real for me, my level of able-bodied privilege. The fact that I can just be carefree in the way that I walk through the world. Like literally I have no worry, no concern, no anxiety about being able to get from point A to point B. If, if the meeting is here, I can get there. If the meeting is over there, I can get there, right, easily. Um, and that's, again, it's hard to recognize privilege because it's what you don't have to deal with. That's why it's so hard for so many people to see it because it's the thing that you're not having to face and that's indicative of privilege. Um, Class is a multiplier of colorism. Um, OMG, yes, everyone needs to recast seriously perspective changing about the class system and its contribution to racism. Um, yep, Bailey Bailey, class just increases colorism. I think of all the Booker T. Washingtons. Yes. All right, I love y'all so much. I'll be back next week. I don't know what the topic is. I might try to bring on another guest. I don't know. I'm playing it by ear. I decided on this topic like a couple of hours before I posted it. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I need to, I need to like do a very um, direct conversation about interracial colorism versus interracial colorism. So hopefully you all found this informative, um, somewhat entertaining at points, but let's keep the conversation going. Share this live with anyone. Anytime somebody says, well, you know, it's just us. White people don't see color. White people just see us all as black. Send them, send this to them, text it to them, email it to them. Be like, nope, we, we got you on that side. Like, yes, white people definitely make distinctions. All right. I kind of don't want to go, but I'm going to go. <laughs> Love y'all so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for watching and tuning in. Um, I'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye, Facebook. Thank y'all. It's not done. Thanks again for listening. Please remember to hit the like button and share this episode with a friend. I hope you can join us again for the next one.